Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm on the leadership team at Redeemer King. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. This is the third and final talk in a short series on the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Josh began uh, by looking at how the resurrection is the basis of our joy, because as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We can be joyful because uh, God has forgiven the past, he is at work now in the present, and we have a glorious future. And then in the second talk, Jim explored the nature of this hope from 1 Thessalonians 4. And we saw how the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of our bodily resurrection uh, and triumph over death at Christ's return. And so we are people of joy and we are people of hope. Today I want us to explore how the resurrection means that we can have access to God's power in our lives. Resurrection power. And the key verses come in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, in the prayer that Paul writes for the Ephesian believers uh, in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Now, we're not going to study the whole passage. Uh, the verses that are relevant to us are 19 and 20, uh, where Paul writes of his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Well, let me just quickly put those verses in their context. Uh, Paul's prayer here is a response to the first half of the chapter uh, in which he summarises the spiritual blessings that we have in and through Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to talk about uh, what those spiritual blessings are. And you know, we struggle to even imagine uh, the riches of God's grace that he's lavished upon us. And I think that's why Paul prays uh, immediately after this uh, from verse 15. Because the prayer is basically a prayer that everything he said will become real to us in our experience. It's not a prayer for more blessings uh, or additional blessings. It's a prayer that we would know what we already have. We already have fullness in Christ. So there's no more to be given in that sense, but there is more to be taken. There's more to be experienced. And so we need to move from theory to practice, from uh, sort of head knowledge to heart knowledge. Uh, and so that's that's where the prayer fits. It's in response to uh, all that God has done uh, in and through Christ. And the prayer starts with thanksgiving. Paul is thankful for what he knows about the church in Ephesus, for their faith and their love. Specifically, he expresses thanks to God for them. And he wants them to know that he is thankful for them uh, and that he's praying for them. See, Paul wasn't consumed with himself and, and his own needs. Uh, when he prayed, he was thinking about others and their needs. But what does he actually pray for them? Well, there are three requests uh, in this prayer. Uh, first, he prays that they will know God better. In verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It is possible to know God better. Uh, and this knowledge comes about through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not not through uh, philosophical um, reflection or, or uh, human speculation, uh, but rather through prayer, asking for the spirit to give us wisdom and revelation. Then the second request is to know our hope. Verse 18, we were thinking about this last week. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Uh, Paul, he uses similar language to Peter when he speaks of our inheritance. But it's a reminder that uh, the Christian life is future oriented. The best is yet to come. And then thirdly, it's a prayer to know God's power in our lives. And that's where our key verses come in in 19 and 20. He wants to pray that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And the power that is available to us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and lifted him up to heaven. It's a staggering thought, isn't it? But just consider what level of power was required to reverse death and to bring Jesus back to life in a new body. And then 40 days later, to return him safely to the Father's right hand. These two great events, the resurrection and the ascension, are held up as the two supreme examples of the power of God. The resurrection confirmed Jesus' identity as the Son of God, and the ascension was his enthronement ceremony where he was crowned as heavenly ruler. But here's the amazing thing. Paul wants us to know this power too. All this is for us who believe. God's power is available to the church. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. Just read it again in verse 19. His incomparably great power for us who believe. So in the rest of the time, uh, I just want to mention some of the areas in which we need the power of God. So my methodology for this message was to uh, use a Bible concordance and look up all the references to power. And there's a lot of them uh, and to see how and where they are used. In what areas of life is God's power mentioned and therefore available to us? Because Christianity has always been more than just a belief system or a code of ethics. True Christianity possesses power. Uh, in Acts 1, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that they would have power to be his witnesses. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 4 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not empty words. There is spiritual power at work. But looking around the church, you might be forgiven for thinking or for asking, where is the power? So many defeated Christians, so many declining churches. Where's the power of God? A few years ago, there was a movement called Power Evangelism, uh, led by John Wimber. Uh, it sort of was quite a big thing in the 1980s. 
uh, it was the expectation that God would do miracles or signs and wonders to authenticate his word. That the gospel would be confirmed by miracles. Um, and quite a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon uh, for a time. But but over a number of years, uh, I think the movement was shown to be a little bit uh, off kilter a little bit naive, perhaps, and unbalanced for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. It doesn't need miracles to validate it every time it is preached. Um, the validation happened in the first century through the apostles, through their signs and wonders. We don't have to replicate that every time the gospel is preached. The message is the power of God for salvation. Uh, and, the, and then a second uh, thing to bear in mind is that the language of power in the New Testament is found in many different contexts. Uh, it is not limited to miracles. So that's what I want to uh, just sort of follow through uh, with now. Where else do we find? power language uh, in the New Testament? Well, firstly, in the area of witness or evangelism. Perhaps the area we feel our greatest weakness uh, is in evangelism. And therefore, it's a great encouragement to know that this was the primary reason that the Spirit was given. At least that's the implication of what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to the disciples when he told them to remain in Jerusalem and to wait for the gift that the Father had promised, the gift of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, uh, he would empower them to be his witnesses. And then what happened after that at Pentecost? The Spirit fell and um, the disciples spoke uh, the, the, the grace of God, the message of the gospel. Uh, and that's a feature of the book of Acts. Uh, yes, there, there were miracles. Uh, but mainly it's a record of the expansion of the gospel, starting in Jerusalem with the apostles in Acts chapter 4. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 11, um, Jerusalem isn't the centre anymore. It's Antioch, a Gentile church, and ordinary Christians are being sent out as missionaries, uh, as witnesses, uh, talking about Christ. Mission is the church's task. We have a great commission to fulfil, but it is also the Spirit's task as well. And the Spirit is the director of evangelism. He, he engineers the contacts. Uh, he opens the heart. He enables the speaker. But we've still got to open our mouths. And uh, that's why Paul specifically asks for prayer in this regard. So at the end of Ephesians, uh, in chapter six, he says, pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Ultimately, it is the Lord's work. Uh, no one can get converted. No one becomes a Christian unless the spirit is at work. Jesus told Nicodemus, didn't he, that he said, you must be born again. And uh, he de defined being born again as being born of the spirit. The spirit must bring new life. God must open blind eyes. But we've still got to speak. Uh, and uh, the spirit 
is given to enable and to empower us uh, to do just that. So that's the first area where we need the power of God. We need it in our witness. Uh, secondly, we need the power of God for holiness. There can be no transformation, no, no lasting change in our lives without the power of God. Because not only does the spirit give us a new nature, he also begins the process of making us more like Christ. Uh, we call that sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. Now, we may not make much progress in this life. Um, but whatever progress we do make is down to the spirit. Now, there is a kind of Christianity that sort of lives up to an external code of behaviour, but it's not life in the spirit, which is the essence of true faith. Uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy uh, alludes to this. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, he talks about uh, people who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Uh, so there's kind of an outward conformity. Uh, but there's no real life of the spirit within. And th these are people who choose not to change, but instead reflect the spirit of the age. People loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. You see, it's not enough just to believe a message. It's not enough to follow a code of behaviour. We need the transforming power of God in our lives we have to desire that and we have to seek it but again transformation uh, is the result of the spirit's work there can be no lasting change uh, unless god himself is working in us so we need the power of god if we're going to change if we're going to uh, battle sin overcome temptation and change some of those deep-rooted habits uh, from our past life we need the power of God to live holy lives. Thirdly, we need the power of God to suffer. Yes, I said suffer. That might uh, come as a surprise to you, uh, but we need the power of God to suffer. All believers who follow Jesus will suffer. This includes all the normal hardships of life to which we're not immune, like sickness and tragedy, but also the additional pressures of being a Christian in a hostile world. Uh, in that same chapter, 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's why earlier on, he called Timothy to be ready to suffer uh, for the gospel. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 8. <clears throat> uh, let me read it. Uh, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, that's the gospel, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God gives us the power to suffer. That is the power or the ability to endure through it. And God chooses to use suffering as part of the process uh, of bringing us to maturity. That's, that's a consistent theme in the New Testament of how God uses all the circumstances of life, the hardships that we uh, 
have to endure uh, to shape us and to refine us and to mature us. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 4 for a start, uh, where Paul talks about the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. Um, this life is full of weakness and hardship. Paul says we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This life is full of weakness and hardship and disappointment, and Paul experienced all of that. But his hope comes from the resurrection. If you read on in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 14, it says, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Uh, and then at the end of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about God's power being seen in his weakness. Uh, 12.9, uh, where uh, Paul had prayed uh, for the, this, this thorn in the flesh to be taken away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this wasn't just Paul's experience, though. Uh, this is available to us all. Power to suffer. Uh, fourthly, power to persevere. How do we keep going as Christians? And the answer is we can't. Not in our own strength anyway. It's the power of God that enables believers to persevere. Uh, Paul actually praised this for the Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 11. Paul prays that being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, you may have great endurance and patience. Endurance and patience um, are not natural qualities. Well, I guess they can be, but they won't be enough to sustain us spiritually. It's not natural endurance we need, but supernatural. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to heaven is at work in you. With God, nothing is impossible. We need power to endure. Love, we need power to love. Some people are easy to love, uh, others not so. But Jesus calls us to love our enemies and to forgive those who persecute us. And this doesn't come naturally. And so we need the power of God. But rather than talk about it in the abstract, uh, I want to give an example. <clears throat> it's the story of Michael and Joe Pollard, who had been visiting communist Europe for 30 years in their camper van, taking clothes and medicine and Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. 
who over the years they had experienced amazing answers to prayer as they crossed borders and travelled inside closed countries. In 1997, they were travelling through Hungary towards Ukraine with desperately needed provisions. They stopped for the night in a lay-by, as they had done many times before. But on this night, they were attacked and robbed by a gang of men. Michael was bludgeoned to death and Joe was seriously injured. Later, three teenagers were caught and found guilty of murder. But from her hospital bed in Hungary, Joe spoke to ITV News and said she bore no malice. At Michael's funeral, she sang as a solo the hymn, How Great Thou Art. She regularly prayed for the men who had killed her husband, and later she was able to visit the prison where they were being held. Two of them agreed to meet her, and she told them that she forgave them. She presented them with gifts, and one of them subsequently received Christ. And that story is told in, in their book, uh, the Joe's book, Journey to Murder. To forgive was no mean task. Joe had lost her husband and the father of her three children. And she still suffers ill health as a result of the attack. She doesn't minimise what happened, but she recognised that because she had received forgiveness, God would enable her to show it to others, even to her husband's killers. Now, I know that's an extreme example, and I've chosen that deliberately, because if someone can forgive in those circumstances, then surely we can forgive uh, the things that are done to us um, in our lives. Because forgiving others, whether big or small, whether strangers or family members, requires a miracle of God's grace. We are commanded to forgive others as God has forgiven us. But the good news is that where God commands something, he also equips us to do it. He gives us the strength to obey. And that comes from his incomparably great power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. So where do you need the power of God? right now in your life? Is it in witness, in uh, sharing your faith with someone? Is it in change, in uh, overcoming sin and temptation? Is it in the area of suffering uh, and enduring through hardship? Or is it in this area of, of loving others and, and forgiving those who've wronged us? Because where, whenever we do those things, whenever uh, we speak up about our faith, whenever we resist temptation, whenever we uh, suffer, whenever we endure and just keep showing up and keep on uh, doing the things that God calls us to do, whenever we forgive those who offend us, who sin against us, in all those cases, there is the power of God. That is the power of God that is available to us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is seen in all those things. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we're not left to live the Christian life in our own strength, 
but you give us the power to do those things that we find extremely difficult in our natural state. But we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. So help us to desire to seek after and depend on your power in witness and in service, in loving and forgiving, in suffering and enduring. And may we labour with all the energy that Christ powerfully works in us. May we see your power working in us and through us in greater measure. For our good, the church's growth and your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.